if you've got um, the Bible, you've been following that along, you'll find it really helpful to have uh, Revelation 4 in front of you. We are also going to be dipping a little bit into Revelation 5 as well, which wasn't read, um, but you'll see why that's important in a moment. But um, I think when you, when you look at Revelation, which I'll be honest is probably one of the most difficult books in the Bible to get your head around. I mean, you read some of the imagery in there, and it's mind-blowing, isn't it, in many ways? We, we can't imagine it. But what's really clear that's going on at the centre of this is you have got an image of worship that's going on. And that is going to be the topic of what I'm going to be talking about today. What is authentic worship? Now, I've had an interesting last 12 months post-pandemic, um, and I think in the last um, year or so, the three different things that I've come across that would be seen as acts of worship in some ways. Now, firstly, the first picture of me there is um, at the Cour de Vincennes in Paris in May, uh, where I was there with 80,000 Liverpool fans um, for the Champions League final in Paris. It was a wonderful event. But what was incredible was the number of people who were just there to follow this team, put their hands in the air, sing all the songs. It was effectively an act of, of, act of worship. That, 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 that second song, I'm at, oh dear, oh it's gone, there we go. Yes. Um, that's, that second image there um, was that, is actually, that wasn't me specifically in that image, but it was um, where you've got uh, a load of people basically trying to uh, scramble over each other for bargains in a store sale. Um, and there have been a lot of incidents of panic buying over the last sort of 12 months or so. And again, it's like we've got to have that thing. It's almost like an act of worship. Now, for some reason, Siri has decided to pop up here and is blocking the final image, but you can see it there. Um, the final image is um, of Chris Martin of Coldplay, um, who will probably argue the biggest band in the world at the moment, and I'll explain a little bit more about that in a moment. But um, they sold out Wembley for nine nights with 100,000 people at each concert. And it was quite incredible to see the number of people actually almost in a state of worship. Now, there are one or two blank faces, so I'm going to show you a video clip now of what I mean, which is the promo for their tour next year. And you can see what I mean when I talk about worship. Can you click that video and hopefully it'll work? It'll work visually, even if the sound's not there, which it isn't. No. So, the... You've got entire stadiums there, people hands in the air, worshipping something. In fact, there was even a moment during the concert where we were all asked to put our hands to the sky and pray for peace for our world. Um, not pray for peace, but ask for peace. It was, it was quite incredible, um, really, to see. So the thing is, I don't think that our world actually needs to be told too much about what worship is. I think our world gets what worship is. And I think we spend an awful lot of our time thinking about how we can persuade the world about the truth of our gospel. Now, we try and present it in exciting ways. We try and think, well, how can we make our church more exciting? Um, how can we make our talks more slicker, like TED Talks up there? And yet the, the thing is, actually, I think there's an argument we don't really need to teach our world too much about worship because they know how to do it themselves. Paul in Acts um, 
It said Acts 17, 22 and 23. It says, he stood up in the meeting of the Arab Gokomagus and, and said, people of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. For as I walked around and I looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription to an unknown God. So you are ignorant of the very thing you worship and that's what I'm going to proclaim to you. What Paul was saying there was that you know how to worship to these ancient Romans and Greeks. We're dealing with a world of people who were created in God's image and were designed to worship. And the truth is, when they cease to worship God, people don't cease to worship. They worship anything. And... Oh, oh it's working now. It's too late. That's, that's a treat you'll have to have another time. Um, so what, what, I, I, was, um, I was talking to a family member uh, a couple of years ago who has worked with drug addicts out in Ibiza, of all places. And she was saying, you don't need to talk to drug addicts about... It's not difficult to talk to drug addicts about God because they understand about worship. When you've been through addiction, you understand about worship. Uh, two weeks ago, I was talking about marriage, the perfect idea in the world of marriage. People worship that that ideal thing. Uh, and, it, and, and, and people worship a good time. Um, and, and we've talked about things like uh, influencers and, and all these other things, a word that Keith has learned this week of what that means, um, where these are people who are sort of held up as icons of our society. So the thing is, when they're faced with the true and living God, why do people not get it? Why do people not realise that actually it is God alone who is worth worshipping? Well, we also see in Romans, Paul saying these words, in what, chapter 1, verses 23 to, 21 to 23. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God, nor gave thanks to him. But their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise... They became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like a mortal human being and birds and animals and reptiles. The point is, is the natural state of human beings is to be blind to God. And I think as Christians also, we are susceptible to this as well, even though we have the Holy Spirit if we are believers. How often have you been to an amazing concert, an amazing sporting event, but actually... And you've come back hyper and, and emotional and thinks this is great. And then you come to church on a Sunday and it's just like hard work, isn't it? Now, the thing is, when we do come to church, as I'm going to say, this is one part of our worship. And, and our challenge today is, as we look at this amazing chapter of Revelation, which goes to the very heart of authentic worship... We need to understand these three things. Firstly, why we worship as Christians. Secondly, who we worship. And thirdly, what authentic worship looks like. Now, some of you will remember James Brixey, who was here in the congregation. Um, and James left again out to Southampton. Many of us are still in touch with him. Um, and he told me a story uh, this year um, about a friend of his. I'm pretty sure it was a friend of his and not James himself. Um, he was talking to somebody who asked about how they could become a Christian. 
And um, the person in question who, uh, who, who was asked the question uh, was a little bit quirkier in their approach. And they said, the best way to read about Jesus is to go to the book of Revelation. Now, not many people would say this normally. You say go to a gospel. They said go to Revelation. Well, so the person who was interested in it started reading through Revelation. And do you know what was amazing? This person became a believer. Because they saw Jesus being revealed at the very heart of Revelation. And that's the amazing thing about this. In this heart of worship, we get a glimpse of Jesus Christ enthroned in glory in heaven, truly deserving of our worship. We're going to look at this in three parts today. We're going to look about how worship is truly understanding God. Secondly, that worship can be really, really practical. And thirdly, that it's an everyday activity. Now, I'm wearing this T-shirt today, um, which comes from quite an interesting talk that I heard about three or four years ago, um, which I'll I'll explain the context of. Now, there was a documentary on Netflix called Flat Earthers. I don't know if anyone of you come across Flat Earth Theory at all. It's a fascinating topic. It's a group of people who, despite all scientific proof to the contrary, still believe that the world is flat. And they decided in this documentary to, to do a certain amount of experiments to try and prove to them definitively that the Earth is not flat. So they were doing experiments, like a guy was standing at the one end of the field, and they were shining a torch through um, a piece of paper, and essentially... Um, if, the, if the earth was flat, the person at the bottom of the field would have seen it goes directly through one, one bit, bit of paper going down to one at the other end of the field. And the experiment didn't go quite to plan for the flat earthers. And they realised they would actually have to put the piece of paper up at the top end of the field in order for the ray of light to go through the two. And his conclusion was, that's a bit of a problem to my theory. And they were saying on this, on, this, um, on, on, on this podcast I was listening to about it, they were saying how what happens when the thing that you have anchored your life around, the thing you've based your life around, is actually shown to be untrue? Because this is what they were realising. What do you do with all your flat earth mates once the thing that kept you together is no longer the case? And it leads you to question the thing, why have we anchored ourselves around this thing that is not true. Now, they move from this topic on to talking about the, the main thing that they get together with is to talk about football. And they say, why do we anchor ourselves around this thing when essentially it's just a leisure activity, which is what I've got on this T-shirt. And the thing is, and the, conclu- the really interesting conclusion that they came to with all this was it's because, as human beings, we are designed to want to follow something something of meaning and it isn't just something like bird watching this is something that actually has a focus to it and it's almost like because we were born to worship a man tends to prefer worshiping temporary things rather than permanent things because man does not really know god If you look at Colossians 3, 1 to 2, it says, Therefore, if you've been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things on earth. 
Now, as we look at Revelation 4, we're not going to spend a lot of time looking at this really, really complicated imagery that's there. Rather, we're going to look at what the really big theme is. What is going on here? Because in Revelation 4, John takes us on a journey into the throne room of heaven. And he's an eyewitness account as to what is going on. And we see this incredible image of worship with a focus being none other than the creator God. We see at the very start, the voice I first heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, come up here and I will show you what takes place after this. At once I was in the spirit and there before me was a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it. Because far too many Christians see worship as a ritual and something we just do on a Sunday with choirs, guitar sometimes and music, when actually worship is about knowing God and responding personally to that knowledge. If you look at verses 8 to 11, you've got this incredible image here of worship. Each of the four living creatures had six wings and was covered with eyes all round, even under its wings. Day and night, they never stop saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. What we see from this is the fact that worship is perpetual. It talks about day and night, they never stopped saying. Now, this could have taken place on a Sunday, but actually that's not the point. It happened all the time. It's an image of eternal worship. Secondly, the focus of this worship is not man. It's not a concert. It's not man feeling better about himself. It's none other than God himself. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Because too often I think we forget that it's not we who are the focus of worship. It's God himself. So if we've grasped that, it's about God. Then it doesn't really matter even when we come to church about what our musical preferences are, how we like things. If our focus is on worshipping God, then that is so much less important. Now, why should God be the focus? Well, the four living creatures actually recognise the sovereignty of God over all creation. Holy, holy, holy. And when I talk about sovereignty, I mean that God has complete control over all creation. They recognise that he is on the throne and he will rule forever and ever. They recognise that he is almighty and powerful over everything. Nothing is outside of his judgment. The Lord God Almighty. And do you know what would have been so comforting to the people when they read this, when they heard this? Was actually this was a time of enormous persecution for the church when this was written. They will have known what it really meant to have people coming and banging on their doors and demanding to know who was a Christian and, who, and, and dragging them out and often pulling them away to be tortured into their deaths. They knew what real persecution meant. So when they had this image being brought before them, this glimpse of the throne room of heaven, knowing that God had won the ultimate victory, what a comfort that would have been to them. Now they also say, it's also said here that God is worthy to receive our worship in verse 11. You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honour and power, for you created all things. And that's in sharp contrast, isn't it, to the temporary things that we often tend to worship on this earth. 
We spend our lives and energies worshipping. And we need to, I suppose we need to ask the question, the things that we do follow, um, you know, what's your football team or your favourite pop star or your favourite influencer done to make them worthy of your worship? Well, actually, the truth is they probably connected with you in some way, perhaps in a deep way. I, I, I was at um, a sad event last month. It was my, my uncle's funeral. And all of his children and those close to him were all wearing the badge of the team, the football team that he supported, which was Port Vale, um, not maybe the greatest football team. But they, all, but they all wore this because it was something personal to him. It connected him to them. He was a big supporter of that team. And so often there can be a deep emotional connection to these things. And, the, and these things are good in themselves. But to worship them is to go a step too far. And that's ultimately what the Bible says, is that we as human beings often tend to fall into worshipping created things rather than the creator himself, who is the only one who is worthy of worship. And Romans one twenty five says this. He said they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and they worshipped and served created things rather than the creator who is forever praised. Now, as believers, we've got this wonderful opportunity to show why it is worth worshipping the creator himself rather than these temporary things. Here's someone we can trust our lives to. Here's someone we can commit our soul to. He's not a lesser God who's affected by the rise and fall of human opinions. He's not some demigod who is subject to the whims of his creations. He is holy, almighty, and eternal. He is a creator, and we are his creation. Now, these are deep theological truths about God. So much of our modern-day Christianity is actually quite superficial. That's why it's often said that, you know, some big churches can just be a mixture of a, feel like a Coldplay concert followed by a TED talk. It's all quite shallow. Because often the default with us is to kind of focus it on us, to focus it on man, rather than focusing it on God. This book takes us back to the essence of who God is. This knowledge is not based on how we feel and what someone has said. It's based on the revelation of God through scripture, illuminated by his Holy Spirit. And it's fair to say that the more that you know him, the more you will be driven to worship him. Those who know him best worship him most. Now, the second point is actually worship is actually very practical. Now, do any of you... Um, you're not allowed to answer this, Keith, because you might know the answer to this question. Um, is, does anyone know what this device is? That's a, there's an image here. Anyone at all? I think you have to be probably above a certain age to know what it is. Yes, Chris. It's a Blackberry. Now, Blackberries were really the first really exciting mobile phones, I have to say. They, they predated the iPhone. Um, and... They, they were really, really popular probably around about 2003 when I was a fairly junior lawyer working because they meant that you could deal with your emails outside of the office. It was very exciting. And from working with lawyers for years, um, I, one thing I've learned is that lawyers like their lives to be made easier. They're generally very clever people I get to work with whose life is spent solving and unravelling complicated problems. And they're very busy and they want to focus their time and energies on doing the solving of problems rather than 
dealing with things that they don't need to deal with. And so actually the BlackBerry was a great thing. It was a simple and elegant thing that helped them do their job. And I think if you can demystify something, if you can make it simpler for people to do, people will do it more readily. And I think so often we think of worship as being this thing that you do on a Sunday and doesn't apply to the rest of your life. Well, here's some truths about worship. Firstly, worship actually involves surrender. Now, chapter 4 of Revelation acts as a prelude to chapter 5. And we see in verse 10 of chapter 4 of the crowns being laid before the throne. It's this image of surrender, that actually nobody is worthy to worship the king. And the reason why is actually revealed in the first four verses of chapter 5. Then I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, Who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? But no one in heaven or earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside it. And I wept and wept because no one was found to be worthy to open the scroll or look inside. Nobody could open this scroll. Nobody was worthy. And actually, John's reaction as the writer of this is to weep. Because the truth is that sin has bound the scrolls. And and nobody, nobody is able to open them. And this, this causes him great and profound sadness. And actually... The the beauty of true worship is it actually comes from a place of brokenness, of realising the hopelessness of our situation without God. I'll be honest, in in, in terms of my life, um, I think the times in my life when I've actually realised the real presence of God has been the times when I have been the the most broken in my life. I had a situation about four years ago when I was, I was very, I, I had a very difficult work situation. I was feeling very angry with one particular individual. And some people prayed, prayed with me. And actually, I, I, I found that the way to come to terms with this was actually just to say to God, I completely surrender myself before you. And I actually found myself bowing down before God almost involuntarily. And it's it's a very underrated thing, this. If you go to older churches, you see stools where people now kneel down to bow before God. And we don't do it very much these days. But it's because it's a physical image of actually how we should be coming before God when we confess our sins with him. And I certainly found that reality of that um, myself. And And that's where worship has to start. It has to come from a place of surrender before God. But secondly, it also involves humility. Because for me, realising that I needed to surrender did not come naturally. I'm quite a proud person. And just accepting that was was really difficult. Because we see in verse 5 of chapter 5, Then one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. See, the lion, the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He's able to open the scroll and the seven seals. John looks for a lion, and what does he see? The uninspiring picture of a lamb. A lamb who looks like he's been slain. It's the most wretched picture. The very picture of humility. Yet given by the attention that's been given to the lamb, the incense, the harps, the lamb is the one that is being worshipped here. 
And why is the lamb the object of the worship? Well, we see this in verse 9. They sang a new song saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and open its seals because you were slain. And with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and nation. He is worthy. The lamb is worthy. The lamb is the image of Jesus Christ because he was slain. Because with his blood he purchased our blood. It was his humble actions that came that meant that we could have a restored relationship with the creator God. So what should our response be to this? Well, nothing other than bowing down in humble praise. We do not get to enter God's kingdom by our own efforts, but rather through what God has accomplished through the sacrifice of his own son, the lamb, who was slain. So actually understanding worship is understanding humility and what Christ had to do to enable us to worship God. And it's the Lamb who, in verse 12, deserves to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honour and glory and praise, not us. Our only response can be humble praise. And that's the final point here about the practicality of worship. Worship involves praise. Adrian spoke at the turn of this year on Revelation 5 in particular. And he really helpfully defined worship as follows. Worship is our response to who God is and what he's done by humbly bowing in reverent awe and submission and serving him with our whole lives in the power of the Spirit. Because our only response to what Jesus has done is to acknowledge him in praise. 5.9 said they sang a new song. Praise involves, involves extolling the wonders and the excellence of our God and not just in the church building when everyone agrees. We who know him have responsibility to make him known to those who don't know him. And actually, one of the ways we can do this is by showing our praise for him. And praise is is not just something you do once on a Sunday. Praise is a lifestyle. Because I've seen some incredibly powerful things about people who really know Jesus, about how this has changed in their lives. You've You've probably seen Christian people who have forgiven people who have done great wrong to, their, to them or to their families. That's an incredibly powerful thing. Forgiveness is such a powerful thing of praise. How, how, how Christians deal with tragedy. How Christians deal with bereavement. How Christians face death. Quite a number of years ago, when we were at Meissen Church, um, Nigel Lee, who was the, um, who was the leader there, um, had, had, had had cancer, was in remission, and the cancer came back. And he knew that he was terminally ill, and he only had a matter of weeks or, or months to live. And those who went to visit him in the um, Helen Lee Centre said it was quite incredible. Somebody said to me, I have never seen more assurance on the face of someone facing death about knowing where they're going. And how he faced up to death was an incredible witness and actually an incredible praise to God that he had absolute confidence in his salvation. And he understood what it meant to worship because this was real authenticity about belief. What happens when you're at your lowest point? Who do you turn to? Now I quote again. 
worship is our response to who God is and what he's done by humbly bowing in reverent awe and submission and serving him with what with our whole lives in the power of the spirit but finally worship is by necessity an everyday activity now i don't know how many of you have ever arrived at school or at work or where you go somewhere regularly and you thought how on earth did i get here do you ever feel that was it just me everyone's looking quite blankly at me you, you, know, you know that thing in the morning where you, you've literally traveled in my case for an hour and i'm like oh i'm here you're an automatic aren't you and and that's the thing about life isn't it is that if you do things regularly enough they become habit forming and you almost don't have to think about them now i'm not advocating that particularly but i think one of the biggest problems and if you haven't get gathered already from the service today one of the things that i think is really coming about is worship is not just something for specific times worship is something we do all the time it involves our everyday lives we go back to um, chapter 4 verse 11 you are worthy our lord and god to receive glory and honor and power they're saying that he's worthy to receive power why do you think they're saying he's worthy to receive power does he not already possess all the power that he needs after all he's god and he's omnipotent and powerful so why would they ascribe power to him and the point is it has to do with the power of their lives they're saying that he is worthy of the entirety of the power of their of our lives when we ascribe power to him we're saying that with the power of our lives with everything that we are we're going to work to give him the glory and honor and blessings that he's due again paul in romans 12 says these words romans 12 1 to 2 <clears throat> therefore i urge you brothers and sisters in view of god's mercy to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice holy and pleasing to god this is your true and proper worship do not conform to the patterns of this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing and perfect will. What Paul is saying there is that worship involves the way that we live our lives. It is who we are before God, both publicly and privately, both internally and externally, both spiritually and physically. So there's a challenge to all of us here, isn't there? Because what does our worship look like this evening? When we go out into the week, what does our worship look like? Are we, going to, are we going through the, just the motions of our life on, on a daily basis? Or are we actually helping each day to focus on God? And where, what are we worshipping in our daily lives? Is, is it in our hearts? Is it work that's become our worship? Is it family that's become our worship? Is, is it the fortunes of a sporting team or something? See, none of these are bad things in themselves, but if they push God out of the equation, they could become problematic. I think one of the great challenges that I have is, and one of the ways that we can get connection with God on a daily basis, is to pray. And that's why um, having that little focus on prayer actually really helpful and links in really well to this. Because the focus that you see of those worshipping in Revelation 4, the focus is on God, the focus is on communion with God. And the way we can have that communion with God is by praying on a daily basis. And a really helpful way of doing that is to read God's words and to, start, and to use his word as a springboard into prayer. So if you're looking at a particular passage or whatever, 
think, well, actually, how, how can I pray the, these words in a way that, is, that, that, that actually amplifies my own prayers to God? It's, it's, it's said sometimes that, um, you know, you, in this day and age, you, you don't need to be part of a church. You don't need to be with other Christians. You can carry on, um, you know, in your own private way, having a relationship with God. But there's a reason that... Um, Paul says elsewhere in scripture, do not give up meeting together because there is something really powerful about Christians coming together. Now, it doesn't just have to be the gathered worship on a Sunday, being part of a home group, being part of a small group, uh, maybe two or three praying together because we encourage each other in our faith by meeting together. And that is, again, part of our worship. Getting to know God better in in his word, spending time studying, not just reading a little bit every day, but actually studying deep. Starting the day in his word. And thinking of that thing that those who know him best worship him most. The thing is, we don't do this out of religious duty, or we shouldn't do this out of religious duty, because if we do, it's very rapidly going to become dead and meaningless like any kind of duty that we follow. If we're doing it to impress other people or keep up appearances, then it's going to become very dry and empty very soon. But if we go back to the source of this, the source being the God who created each one of us and who loved us so much that he sent his own son that has given us the Holy Spirit, and if we truly believe and trust in that, then worship is the greatest privilege that there is, isn't there? We get to have communion with the creator of the universe, the one who loved us so much, who provides endless source of reassurance and comfort in this world, when all these other things that we're tempted to worship are actually temporary. They're not going to last. We go back to the source of all creation, the source of all blessing, the source of all strength. And we're given access to it through the blood of Jesus Christ. Now, if that is not an encouragement today, I don't know what is. Um, This is a tremendous picture of worship in Revelation. And I've personally found this a real challenge, actually, to be reading this and examine my own heart and my own life as I look and actually what does worship on a daily basis look like. Let's pray. Father God, as we read your words, and we do read these words in Revelation, it's actually a real challenge to us to think, we just don't come anywhere near this in terms of our worship of you. We recognise that we are sinful, fallen human beings, ones who, who tend to want to depend on ourselves rather than on you. But reading these words and seeing this is realised that actually you are the source of all joy, of all power of all comfort, and you've been generous to us. You've sought reconciliation with us through your Son. You've given us your Holy Spirit, and we have this privilege of being able to submit to you and to worship you. So we pray for each one of us that you would make us excited by this. You'd make us want to do it, not out of a sense of religious duty, but out of a sheer joy of response to what you've done for each one of us. And we pray that you would help us in this through your spirit as we seek to try and do this um, on a daily basis. Amen.